bed in the morning. I'm afraid of going to work. I'm afraid of seeing that person or I'm afraid of that conversation I know I need to have. I I know I need to move forward in love and obedience, but I'm afraid. And so we hide. And so I I don't know what fears you have. But I want to just say this. I know that there are fears in this room that are deeper than maybe you could ever share with anybody else. Like maybe you would just be too embarrassed to. Maybe you would be too... um, Maybe you've told your pastor, but... Maybe your wife doesn't even know how deeply terrified you are of what God is calling you to do. I think there are some times, I mean, we're coming out of several years, right? In the whole world where everybody's been afraid of something. We're afraid of COVID or we're afraid of government overreach. We're all afraid. And there are times that our fears can really paralyze us. I just want to say, I know there are deep fears in this room. If you're not a fearful person, that's okay. But I also know that there's probably somebody here who has deep fears. And I want you to know that these verses are for you. And the great news about this is, this is the Apostle Paul. Did you notice that? I don't know about you, but I tend to think that the Apostle Paul was a super missionary, right? Like, he would just kind of roll into town, this preaching machine, and he would just let everybody have it. He would just shoot the gospel gun, and then he'd roll out of town. He didn't care what anybody thought. But this passage gives us a little window into the emotional life of Paul. So we know right away that he's afraid. How do we know that? Because Jesus has to say, stop being afraid. So here's Paul. He's afraid. And did you notice what city he's in? We haven't read the context, but you can probably just see at the heading at the beginning of chapter 18. What city is he in? He's in Corinth. And we know when he wrote to this church later... In the Corinthian letters, he said, when I was with you, I was with you in much fear and trembling and weakness. Do you remember? I may not have said that in the right order, but do you remember him saying this? I was with you in much fear and trembling and weakness. Super missionary Paul. Fearful, trembling, weak. And so here he needs this encouragement because he is fearful. So I want to just ask real quick, why do you think Paul's afraid? Why is he afraid when he gets to Corinth? Maybe the context gives us a clue. We don't know for sure. But I want you to look at verse 6. We're in Acts 18, verse 6. And when they, the Jews, opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So, so maybe, maybe one of the reasons why he's fearful is because the Jews have rejected him. He's come in and he's preached the gospel. And they said, no, thank you. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he's fearful and discouraged. There's a good chance that Paul was ready to move cities. He was like, well, these guys don't want to listen. I'll move on. Because Jesus says, no, keep preaching here. 
and then Paul stays a year and a half. There's a good chance at this point he's ready to move on. So maybe it's because of the rejection that he got from the Jews. But the other thing that's going on right before this is a lot of ministry fruit. That maybe doesn't seem like something that would make you fearful, but let's look at this. Look at verse 7. So Paul left there, he left the synagogue, and went to the house of a man named Tychius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. I like this. So the Jews reject him, and he's like, that's okay. He just goes right next door to this guy's house. And, and I lost my place. In verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. So this is great. Crispus believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. So the Jews reject him. Paul moves right next door. And who follows him? The ruler of the synagogue. He leaves the synagogue, too, and follows Paul in his new church plans. And then look at the end of verse verse 8. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. That's great, isn't it? Many of the Corinthians believed. So why is Paul afraid? Sure, the Jews have rejected him, but look at all these Gentiles who've received the gospel. Again, we might just get a little clue when we remember the kind of people in Corinth who got saved. Do you remember this? Do you remember, we, we, we say the, the phrase, such were some of you. Because we quote Paul is talking to the Corinthians and talking about all the people that got saved. And I won't quote it exactly right, but he's talking about thieves and adulterers and homosexuals, etc., 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 etc. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. So it might be that, yeah, the fruit is making him afraid too, because these guys are coming with baggage. They're coming with backgrounds. <coughs> These aren't just people that are moving from the other Baptist church in town. These guys are coming with, with issues. So maybe whether it was the Jews that rejected him, or whether it was the Corinthians who received the gospel, whatever the reason is, Paul's afraid. As he ministers in Corinth, he's fearful. I just want to notice you to notice something here. Who takes the initiative when Paul needs encouragement? It's the Lord. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. So Paul needs encouragement. And Jesus moves towards him. And I I think that there might be times when we're so fearful and so paralyzed that we just can't, we feel like we can't move towards him. Maybe you've been there. I, I can't, I don't know how to pray. I can't move towards God. And I want to tell you, be encouraged. Because those are the times when he moves towards you. This is the kind of Savior we have. Jesus, who says, I'm going to move towards Paul. And I'm going to encourage him in his fear. So so if you are a fearful believer, I want to encourage you with these words tonight. Let's look at these three points. 
especially that we see in verse 10. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 10, we see these three reasons. Paul, don't be afraid. Okay, great. Why? Number one, for I am with you. You have Christ's presence. Number two, no one will attack you to harm you. So you have Christ's protection. And number three, Jesus says, I have many in this city who are my people. So he's already marked out his people. If you want three Ps, it could be Christ's presence and protection and his people. This is, these are the three reasons he gives to Paul. Don't be afraid because of these three reasons. So first, let's just start, start with Christ's presence. I want to encourage you tonight that in your fear, Jesus is with you. <clears throat> when I was terrified, learning the language, driving my family down to Brazil, teaching in front of all these Brazilian pastors, Jesus was with me. This is, this is huge. And if, you, if you've read your Bible through a couple times, you know that this happens all the time, doesn't it? Don't be afraid, for I am with you. This happens all the time. And we, we even have this in the Great Commission. Jesus says, I will be with you until the end of the age. So whether you're a fearful Paul, or whether it's, you're a fearful missionary in Brazil, or you're you, we have the same promise. I will be with you. We have Christ's presence. So what does Christ's presence mean for us? First of all, I think we need to realize, I don't want you to think that this is some kind of um, coping mechanism. This is just kind of a fairy tale that I believe in. It's a crutch. Yeah, Jesus is with you. Like kind of the, you know, this is not just a, a platitude to make you feel better. This is a reality that's based on Christ's resurrection, right? Is this a church that believes that Jesus rose from the dead? Right, so like Jesus is alive. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but like what do, what do liberal churches preach on Easter? Have you ever thought about that? What do they preach on? They just say nonsense like, he's alive in your hearts. Or, he's alive in the world as you follow his deeds and good works today. That's just a bunch of garbage. Like, Jesus literally, physically, rose from the dead. I know this church believes that. And, in fact, the disciples believed this, too. Because in Acts, right, you see in the Gospels, before Jesus rises from the dead, the disciples are fearful. They're afraid. They're locked in a room. They're terrified. And when the reality of the resurrection grips their heart, they are unstoppable. And the book of Acts is what happens. They flip the world upside down. Do you know what the difference was? I think the reality of the resurrection of Jesus gripped them. Jesus is alive. I don't just mean that in some way like, oh, he's alive in my heart, but I know he really... No, like, he's really, really alive. Jesus died and rose and ascended, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so when he says to us, 
I am with you. He means it. This is not just like some kind of spirit. Like he's just with me in spirit. I have his memory. But Jesus is with you, dear brother and sister. He's with you. When this grips our heart, it will make us unstoppable. So, what does this mean? And your fears. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, and those fears <laughs> all night long was so nice, and you wake up, and the fears are like, whoosh. How does this, how does the presence of Christ change the way you live? A couple things. You need to remember <coughs> that this means that Jesus knows what you're going through. The suffering that you're going through, the, the hard time that you're going through. He knows what you're going through. It, it's not a surprise to him. And he cares. And he knows how long you've been going through that. It's not like, I think sometimes we think this, that God hands out sufferings to people, and then he comes back and he's like, oh, I didn't mean for you to have that so long. And he forgot about us. That's not how it works. It's not like he turned his back and forgot that he stuck you with this big, heavy suffering. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. And he cares. And he's with you. And so this means that he has not, just the fact that you have suffering and fears in your life does not mean that he has abandoned you. It would have been easy for Paul <coughs> to think, oh, well, the Jews rejected me. I guess that means that God also has rejected me. But Jesus says I, it is quite the opposite. Yes, the Jews have rejected you, but God has not. I am with you. So do not interpret your suffering to mean that God has left you or forgotten about you or doesn't know what you're going through. He's with you through the suffering. Now, I mean, we, we know this. We could talk all day about this, but we just, we know this from our own life, don't we? When we have someone with us, we're less afraid. When I tell my sons, go into the back room, and it's dark back there, they don't want to go. Because it's afraid. They're afraid. And sometimes I'm not very patient about that. But our, our God is always patient with me. But what, is, what do my sons want? <clears throat> they just want me to go with them. Dad, can you just come with me? It's still dark. It might still be scary. But they're not afraid. Because I'm with them. And this is what, what Jesus is saying. Yes, the world is dark. Yes, the world is scary. And yes, you still have to Get up in the morning. You still have to charge into that darkness. But you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is with you. And he says to Paul, you've got to stay in Corinth. This was not part of the Bible Belt. This was a rough city. In this darkness, <coughs> he says, I want you to stay. You don't, you don't, you don't get to... Whatever this thing that's making you afraid in Corinth, you don't get a way out. I want you to stay in it. Maybe some of you feel like that, where you're praying, Lord, get me out of this thing. And he says, no, no, no. 
I want you to stay. But he says, I'll be with you. Keep charging into the darkness, and I'll go with you. So this is what he says. And for, for those of us who are fearful believers, this is huge encouragement. Go, go into the darkness knowing that Jesus is with you. This is his presence. Let's talk really quickly about the other, uh, the other two points. So we have Christ's presence with us. And if that's not enough, we also have his protection. You, you see it right there in the second half of the verse. And no one will attack you to harm you. He said, I'm going to take care of you. Paul, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to take care of you. Isn't our Lord such a good Savior? I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to take care of you. Now, we have a room full of, of theologians here, right? I've, I've already looked around, and everybody here is a theologian. So, I need you all to look at a verse with me and help me with something. Look at verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. So Jesus says to him, no one will attack you to harm you. And what happens two verses later? People attack him. So how do we think through this, theologians? How do we think through the fact that Jesus promised, no one will attack you to harm you, and then, boom, immediately after that, people attack him? Because doesn't this happen in our, in our life? We know God will take care of us, and yet, life still hurts. And I don't know the scenarios in this, in this room, but we, when we bury our children and our spouses, and have wayward sons and daughters, it hurts so deeply. And so when we hear Jesus say, I'll take care of you, we just want to say, yeah, but why does it hurt? Why does it have to hurt so much? And I think this gives us a help. He's not promising that he's going to change your circumstances. But he is promising that he's going to be with you. He's not promising that no one will attack him. But he is promising that no one will attack him for his harm. Brothers and sisters, when we believe that God is not only good, but he's also in control, then we really can trust that anything he lets lets hit us will not be for our harm. And I, I I don't mean to give simple answers. Because the pain is, is real. And life hurts. I, I don't want to minimize that. But I think that we know, we can trust here, that when Jesus says, I will take care of you, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to change your circumstance. But it does mean that he won't let anything happen to you that will be for your harm. Which means if stuff's in your life, God is going to work it out for good. He has a good purpose for it. And I think we also need to remember that he has already protected us from the greatest pain. When Jesus says, no one will attack you to harm you, Jesus has already done everything necessary to protect you from the greatest pain, which is 
Separation from the Father forever in, in hell. This is what we deserve. And since we're a gospel church, I'm going to preach the gospel again. Because we believers love to hear it. And if you haven't accepted Christ, you need to hear it. So when Christ, when Christ dies on the cross, he's paying for your sins. The ways that you thought that you could make life work, you're finding it doesn't work. Life still hurts. It's still confusing. You still feel alone. You're still fearful. And you're realizing that even the things that you thought you were good at, those are actually getting in your way. Even your righteous acts are like filthy rags. And so Jesus comes and he pays for your sins. He takes that on himself. He doesn't want you to experience hell, separation from God forever. He takes the punishment for your He protects you from this. He takes it on himself so that the only harm that was going to come to you, he took on himself. This is our Savior. So when he says, I'll take care of you, we need to remember, yes, life hurts, but he knows what pain feels like because he took the greatest pain. On himself, in your place. I think probably, on a Thursday night, we're believers here. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you haven't accepted Christ, I would encourage you to do that. Look at what Christ has already done for you. And just to go back to yesterday, it's finished. It's finished. Okay, so we have Christ's protection. Why should we not be fearful? Because Jesus is with us. And secondly, because he is going to take care of us. And just real quickly, he's going to use you too. You see this in the, in the last part of verse 10? I have many people <coughs> in this city who are my, I have many in this city who are my people. Jesus has already marked out his people in Corinth. Look at verse, um, what verse was it? Verse 8 again. In the middle of the verse it says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Jesus knew each one of them. He'd marked them out. And this didn't make, just because Jesus already knew who his people were, didn't make Paul say, Sweet, well I'm just going to do nothing. I can leave. I don't have to stay here. Jesus is already going to save his people. I, why do I have to be here? It had the opposite effect. The effect of knowing that Jesus had his people, it made him, in verse 11, it made him stay. And it made him teach the word of God among them. Why did he do that? If Jesus had already chosen his people, why did he stay and teach the word? Because Jesus doesn't only choose his people, but he also chooses the means to reach his people. This is all part of his good plan. And so Paul is motivated. Don't be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. Why? Because because Jesus is with you. Because Jesus will take care of you. And lastly, because he will use you. He has more people in this city for you to reach. There are more people in your community for this church to reach. He has his people. Let's go find them. This may be helpful for you. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher. You've probably heard of him. And he said this. 
if, if Jesus has already chosen his people, shouldn't we just go tell them and not everybody? He said, well, yeah, I mean, if, if they had a big X on their back, sure, we would preach to them, but they don't. So we preach to all. Jesus has people in this, in this city for you to reach. And we don't know who they are. So let's go find them. Let's go tell them. He will use you. And this is wonderful because in spite of our fear and in spite of our weakness, he will use you to go find his sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. So I want to just ask one last question. Why are we afraid? When I'm, when I'm in Brazil and I'm way outside my comfort zone and I'm trying to preach and teach in Portuguese, why am I afraid? Why are you afraid of whatever it is that's gripping your heart? Wouldn't you agree that it's because we love ourselves, ultimately? We want to protect ourselves from hurt or embarrassment or shame. We love ourselves. And so we're afraid of stuff that's going to hurt our precious selves. That's what fear is. It's really love. But it's self-love. And the Bible already tells us the key to casting out fear. You know what it is, don't you? What casts out fear? I think I heard it. Who said it? Perfect love. Missionaries aren't allowed to answer. Perfect love casts out fear. Right? Perfect love casts out fear. So when you when you are so full of how much Jesus loves you, it, it, it can't your fear can't coexist in that space. When you are so overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus promises to you, brother, sister, I will be with you. I will take care of you. And in spite of your weakness, I will use you. That kind of love, when that grips your heart, that will push out your fear. Yes, the world may still be dark. Yes, what God's calling you to do may still be scary, but you can move forward in love and obedience. Whether it's getting out of bed, getting back to work, having a tough conversation, or going and being a missionary. Whatever, whatever that love, obedience step is that you need to take. What's going to conquer your fear is being Full of Jesus' love for you. So I just want to encourage you. This week, as you're afraid, as I do regularly, hear him say to you, fearful believer, fresh courage take. I am with you. I will be with you. And I will use you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these these short verses and how they encourage us. Thank you, dear Jesus, for your presence and protection and people in our lives and how you use us in spite of our weaknesses. Lord, I pray that you'd use these words to encourage somebody here tonight, somebody who's fearful, somebody who feels like they have a fear that they can't conquer. I pray that you would use these words to fill them with your love for them and that that would overflow in love and obedience for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.